This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You can uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. That was our lesson that was read today. Before we get into that incredible text on this amazing feast of Pentecost, let me begin with a story, something of a parable, a true story. So many, many years ago, I had an old school job when I was 12 years old. It was a paper route. And I would have a canvas bag that had a big pocket in the front and a big pocket in the back. And I'd fill it with issues of the Indianapolis Star every day and go door to door and pass my uh, papers out. And then every two weeks, I'd go around door to door and I would collect the money that people would pay for the paper, except at Christmas, which was really fun because I would go around and I would make my collections. And inevitably, nearly everyone gave me some kind of tip. But I wasn't prepared for the gift I received when I went to the nicest house in the whole neighborhood. It had pillars in the front. It had a a fountain that you could hear going in the back. It was a big deal. I went to the front door. I rang the doorbell. And the gentleman came to the door. He's going to pay me for for, for my fees. And then he said, you know, it's Christmas time. And he reached into his pocket. And he pulled out two cards, two business sized cards. He said, I own many restaurants in Indianapolis. And I want to give you these cards. Each of them are worth one free dinner, all you can eat at my restaurant. Merry Christmas. I looked at the card and I realized that it had an expiration date. Ten years or so hence from the date I received it, August 8th, 1988. 8888. My imagination was captured by the expiration date. I rode my bike home to my brother. Um, he was then known as Bo. You, many of you know him as the venerable minister of the gospel, the Reverend Christian Lockridge Ruck of Church of the Cross, Hopkins, Minnesota. I said, Bo, think about this. In 10 years, I'll be 22 and driving a car. You'll be 19. And the two of us on 8888 are going to take these promises, these cars, and we're going to go have the feast of our lives. We're going to feast like kings at this, it was a cafeteria, actually. So we got all excited about that. I put the cards away and I just totally forgot about them. Every once in a while I'd be sorting things out and I'd find them in a little wooden box, but I, I pretty much just did not keep in mind this 8888 promise until one morning, August 8th, 1988, I awakened in New Hampshire on vacation with my brother. I there and I realized to my absolute horror, no, it's 8888. I woke up, Bo, we forgot. We forgot the promise of the absolute feast that we've been anticipating. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, just before our section today, Jesus says that the Father is one who gives a promise. He's going to give the promise of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a follower of Jesus, no matter where you are, this promise is for you. But so many of us, as disciples of Jesus, have forgotten the promise. We may have been excited at the beginning of our faith journey that we had the promise of the Holy Spirit. We may even have seasons where we've walked in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. But many of us are in a state of forgetting the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only have we forgotten that promise, Even more so, we've often forgotten the purpose of the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
Look with me as you have your Bible open at the promise of God's power. The promise of the Spirit, verses 1 to the first part of verse 4 in chapter 2. And the promise of God's power to proclaim. The purpose of the promise of God's power is to proclaim Him. Verse 4 to 11. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Let's just start right there. When we talk about the promise of God's power, what is the nature, what is the content of this power? Whose power exactly is this? If it's the Holy Spirit's power, whose power is this? We have the day of Pentecost. This tells us a great deal. Very important for us as followers of Jesus to understand the importance of the day of Pentecost. Yes, it's a feast in the life of the church that we're celebrating today, but it has critical Jewish roots. It is known as the Feast of Shavuot. It's a revered Jewish feast. 50 days after Passover, hence the word penta, which means 50 in this uh, particular rendering of Shavuot, Pentecost. Now, it was originally a feast of first fruits. And even at this point, the harvest had, was already coming in. The very first harvest was already coming in. So it was, a, it was a feast of harvest, a feast of God's promise that as seed was sown, there'd be a harvest reaped. But about 300 years or so prior to when this Pentecost occurred, Pentecost began associated not just with the, the Feast of Harvest, but with the giving of the law, the giving of the words of God, the Ten Commandments, also known even more rightly and technically as the Ten Words of God. It became associated with Mount Sinai, with the giving of the law. And Mount Sinai was an event, if you don't know about Mount Sinai, where the giving of the Ten Commandments occurred. It was an event of power, and it was an event of fire. In the Hebrew Scriptures, we read Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 19. Flashes of lightning, flashes of fire accompany God's Word, God's speaking. In an ancient commentary by rabbis, they commented on Exodus 20, quote, the Word, note Word, the importance of Word, the Word that went out from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be He, was like shooting stars and lightnings and like flames. As Luke, the apostle who's recording this event, is recording it, he is understanding, as a Gentile, the profound Jewish roots that are a part of this incredible feast. This is the feast of the Holy Spirit, absolutely. This is the feast of the Trinity where the Father gives the promise of the Holy Spirit that we may know the word of Jesus. And this is a feast of God's word, of proclamation. It could only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. All these riches is that have to do with, it, with, with this power. But then we read that this power is not abstracted, of course. They're filled with this power. Verse 2. Their entire house is filled. Divided tongues of fire. Now that we already have a little bit of background, we go, of course there's fire. There was fire at Sinai. There's fire now. There's, there's fire falling upon them. And they rest on each of them. And they begin to be, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak. Of course they begin to speak. The Pentecost is the feast of words, the feast of the word of God. Now, the Holy Spirit, we are told, is the spirit of Jesus. Acts chapter 16, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus says, the spirit is sent by the Father in my name. John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. Do not abstract the Holy Spirit as if he's some just doing absolutely his own thing. He is ministering the presence and the power and the victory of Jesus himself. His work is to be the leadership and the ministry 
bringing the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus is what? When the Holy Spirit ministers the power of Jesus, what are we talking about? We're talking about first and foremost, the power to die to self. The power of the cross of Jesus, the power of his death, when the Holy Spirit fills us, gives us the power to die to ourselves. Now, if you've heard this before, perhaps you've associated it, and, and this wouldn't be wrong, with perhaps like one day I'll do a, a kind of dramatic act where I'll, I'll die to self in a, in a moment of, of sort of gospel drama. And that may, that may indeed come your way. But I'm not sure that's the most helpful way to imagine the power of death to self. Or perhaps you've situated the power of the death to self within interpersonal relationships, dying to self to bless your roommate, dying to self to bless your spouse or your children. An excellent way to think about it. But I would argue that the primary way that we're receiving it in this context is in the power and the presence of mission. That when we die to self, we die to self for the sake of mission. We need to reorient our understanding of death to self within the realm of mission. Of when the call to die to self so that we can favor the lives of others. We can bless the life of others. We can give our own life, the things we hold dear. The things we hold for me, we can give those things away so we can understand the fullness of the life of others and love them and serve them and care for them. Oh, how this has application for this Pentecost, 2020, May 31st. How can we not think about death to self without understanding and taking in the deaths of two African-American men? Tragically, in the last two months, Ahmaud Arbery, February 23, George Floyd, May 25th, six days ago, we grieve this reality and these tragic killings. And for those of us who are white and a part of the white culture and community in the United States, we feel great shame. I'm so proud of our youth and other members of our church who yesterday participated in a peaceful demonstration in Wheaton, proclaiming the love of God and the love of God for the black community. I was honored to be part, a small part of drafting a letter that is a word of lament and a teaching of the gospel in the face of this deep racial injustice that we have experienced and has been going on for a hundred years. That letter signed by me and three of our bishops, churchres.org slash blog. There's so many things to talk about here. There's so many important realities. Let me just speak to this on this Pentecost Sunday that I put before us even as a question to our diocese, which is predominantly not exclusively white, and to our church, predominantly not exclusively white. How can we die to self so that we can love the African-Americans of our country and love the black churches of our country more deeply, more profoundly? How can we be willing to risk death to self so that we can enter in, not with a presumptive empathy that says we fully understand or fully know, we will not fully understand or fully know, but we will seek to understand better we will employ the power of the Holy Spirit to listen to our black brothers and sisters and understand what's it like. Explain it to us yet again. Oh, Lord, soften my heart. Oh, Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart, like these deep and profound racial injustices that we are experiencing right now. The power of the Holy Spirit. So yes, we grieve this. We are grieving right now. And we grieve with those who grieve. But we do not grieve without hope. The hope of God. The hope of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, this hope is also the hope, not just of the cross. 
It is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When Peter would get up and preach just in a few moments after the falling of the Holy Spirit, he would preach and integrate the teachings of the Hebrew Scriptures he'd been raised on with the understanding that Messiah has come, Messiah has died, and Messiah has risen from the dead, Yeshua of Nazareth. Now at the right hand of the Father, he'll preach these things. The power of the resurrection gives us the power not only to die to self, but the power to be different, the power to differentiate from the ways of the world, the ways of hate, the ways of cruelty, the ways of injustice, the ways of selfishness, the ways of greed, the ways of lust. We have the power to be different in the power of the resurrection that fills us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrected Jesus was utterly different. He was a new man, a new human being. The new Adam. Oh, God created in the beginning of time and God recreated in the raising of his son from the dead. We have this power so that we can live as recreated people. The Holy Spirit living in us, redeeming us, remaking us, recreating us. And we share this with those who have yet to know the power to be recreated, remade, to be a new life in Christ. All things have passed away. Apostle Paul said, behold, all things have become new in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be different. If you're called to share the gospel, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to share the good news of Jesus. You're called to share the power of the Holy Spirit. You will need to be differentiated. You will need to be willing to let the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection, make you different than others. Not so that you judge them. The Apostle Paul says, we don't judge those in the world. No, so you love them. And so you have something to give them. Differentiation creates the gift of giving people something that they do not have already, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do not be ashamed of the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not be ashamed that you've been called to be different for the sake of a world that desperately needs different, loving different, compassion different. Oh, I thank God for those who were different than me when I was far from God. I'll never forget one of my best friends from college. We had lived days of darkness together. He had returned to the Lord before I had. We got together in a meeting that changed my life where I shared about my life, the ways I was far from God in my early 20s. And I thank God that this man had the power of the Holy Spirit to differentiate from me, one of his very best friends, and to speak loving truth to me and call me to the ministry of the Holy Spirit yet again. Call me back to Jesus. Only had he been differentiated, only because he was differentiated could he do that thing. Oh, the power of the Spirit is the power to be different for the sake of love. What is this power? It is the power of proclamation. Now, we look at verses 4 to 11. The power of the Holy Spirit ministers in so many different ways. We know the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians, we, we know the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. But it is important to note that in this first descent of the Holy Spirit, the way that He specifically comes in power is the power to proclaim. Verse 4, they begin to speak tongues of fire on their heads. We see prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the fire coming upon their tongues that they might speak of the things of God. We can tell anyone about Jesus. That's what I want to say about the power to proclaim. We can tell anyone about Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit rested on each one of them. Verse 3. 
We, let's focus on we. On each one of them. Look at verse 7. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Let's look at this carefully. First of all, let me talk about a little more about each one of them. Flames and fire are light. And let's be really clear. They are alighting on men and women alike. Often we conceive of the followers of Jesus as the 12 men, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. And they did have a critical place within the ministry of the kingdom of God and the setting in of the kingdom of God. But what we know clearly from these passages is that the followers of Jesus, the band around Jesus, are men and women. And the Spirit of God is falling on men and women alike. All of them are called to proclaim. All of them are called to tell of the mighty acts of God. There were 120 gathered. Chapter 1, verse 15 in the book of Acts. We know in, in verse 14, these are of one accord, it says, all in prayer with the women referring to women that Luke refers to in Luke chapter 9, several different women throughout his ministry and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Indeed, this is so beautiful. We see this in verse 17 of chapter 2. Peter's preaching. He mentions Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Let us celebrate the need we as men have for our sisters and the need that our women have for their brothers together, 120, if you will, a beautiful, full, complete number, celebrating and ministering the power of the Holy Spirit. And indeed, even those who would seem inferior to their culture would be given power to speak the superior word of God. When they say, are these not Galileans? That was very likely not a compliment. Joseph Shula, Jewish rabbi, contemporary Jewish rabbi and follower of Jesus writes that so often the Galileans would have been viewed as those who didn't have Judea. They didn't have Jerusalem. They had to travel to that place. They were considered farther away, more remote, less sophisticated. And it is They know they're Galileans. Maybe they knew they were gathering from Galilee. Maybe they heard accent. So maybe they're speaking other languages, but with a Galilean accent. We're not positive. But they knew these are Galileans. Who are they to be speaking the word of God? <laughs> they don't know the gospel yet. <laughs> they don't know that God chooses the least in the world to proclaim the greatest thing in the world, Jesus himself. Because Jesus became less. He died on a cross. So do not let yourself say in the we, I'm too inferior. You can't say that in the gospel. Speak the gospel with a Galilean accent and don't be ashamed. We can tell. We hear them telling. The Holy Spirit does empower us to tell. Jesus is the word of God we speak the things of God is a God who speaks. When we're called to tell, it's not like we're called to do evangelism as some kind of part of our lives where now I need to do evangelism. They just did a series on evangelism in my church, so I'm trying to do more evangelism. That isn't why we do evangelism. We do it because we want to be like the Lord. We want to be like the Apostle Paul said, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We want to be imitators of God. We so love God and want to be in Him and like Him that we realize He's a God of words. He's a God who speaks our God is not silent. And praise be to God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not silent either. We speak the things of God. Now, maybe some of you have, lurking in the back of your mind, something that you've heard said before. Share the gospel. We're attributed to St. Francis, which is almost hearing it from the Bible. 
And you're thinking, wait, 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 wait a second, Stuart. I mean, like, come on, like, how about share the gospel when necessary use words? Do we really have to kind of talk about kind of, I don't know, enlightenment-oriented, like mid-20th century, you know, evangelicalism and you know, emphasis on preaching and all that? Well, let me, just, let me just say one thing about the question around share the gospel when necessary use words. I'll just say one word, poppycock. It's an absolute falsehood. First of all, let's get really, really clear. St. Francis never said it. He never spoke it. Can I just drive a stake through the heart of that falsehood? And even if St. Francis has said it, let me just say this. He'd have been wrong. It's not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, one of Francis' biographers who lived contemporary with Francis, wrote this 10 10 years after Francis, his words, quote, were neither hollow nor ridiculous, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, penetrating the marrow of the heart so the listeners were turned to great amazement. So we use words. Now we get creative about how we use words. And we'll say a word to our artists in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about how somebody used words with me in the last few months. Okay, so I was traveling uh, pre-COVID, and I had gone for a run. I was getting a bottle of water from a, 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 a gift shop in a hotel, and I bought a bottle of water from a, a young woman, and we got talking, and she had an accent. I asked where she was from. She said, oh, I'm from Syria. I said, we're in Syria, Aleppo. And I was just shocked, Aleppo. So many of your, of your fellow Aleppo citizens have died in just absolute horrors that I've read about. She said, do you know about Aleppo? I said, well, I'm no expert on Aleppo. I just, just read and try to pray. She was shocked. I said, so you're Syrian, yes. Are you Syrian Christian, Syrian Muslim? Are you of another religion or Catholic? No, I'm Syrian Muslim, she said. Could I pray for you? She said, oh, please. I had a chance to pray for her. And then I said goodbye, and I walked away, and I said, you know, I have nothing else to give her. I, I used to carry tracks with me well-written, theologically developed tracks. I don't have anything to give her. Oh, Lord, could you get me some tracks, please? I just need some tracks. So I was on the road three days later, and I was in a, an airport um, uh, lunch, lunchroom, and I was having lunch, and I had my collar on. And a gentleman came up to me, very nicely dressed. Um, looked like he was in the marketplace, and he said, excuse me, can I just give these to you? He gave me two tracks. I was like, wow, he just, he just gave me two tracks. That's really interesting. Um, so I finished my lunch and he was still eating. So I went over to him and said, you know, thank you so much. And I, I had the assumption that he probably figured I had a collar on so I wasn't saved. So I said, hey, thank you. You know, I'm actually saved. I, I know Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, but I, thank you for these tracks. May I keep them? Anyways, oh, I'd love for you to keep them. He said, my ministry, he said, I, I'm in sales and I love that. But what I love to do is share the words of God. And so whenever I can, I pass out tracks just to share about the gospel all throughout the country and the world where I travel. That's really what I love to do. And then I also am involved in sales in the marketplace. I said, oh, thank you so much. So he gave me my tracks. Thank you, Lord. You answered my prayers. I got on the plane and I sat next to an Egyptian-American Muslim young man who was interviewing for residencies for med- uh, post-medical school. And I had a chance to give him one of the tracks, which happened to be how to be a man of God. As long as God wanted me to share his words because, of course, he does. And I'm so thankful that as a preacher, there was a marketplace man, it could have been a marketplace woman, that actually passed those words on to me. For those of us who are parents or godparents, we're single celibates, but we're involved in the life of families, we need to be ready to share and tell of the things of God with children. And you kind of have a sweet spot, like even like ages five to 10, where they will ask questions. If we're with them and hanging out with them, spending time with them, they will ask us questions. Beckett, my nine-year-old and I were playing wiffle ball a couple days ago, and out of the blue he says, so, so dad, what's purgatory? I, I have no idea where that came from. I had to explain to him, well, purgatory isn't a scriptural concept. Here's where it comes from. But let me tell you about what the scripture teaches about heaven and about hell. It was like a 
three-minute conversation. It was pretty brief before we got back to wiffle ball. But to do what? To tell the mighty acts of God. Now, a caveat to my stake to the heart of the words St. Francis didn't say. We are to speak of the things of God and to write the things of God. But we need our artists to depict these things of God. I want to be really clear with you. Our painters, our production artists, our poets, our novelists, our writers in different capacities, our musicians, we need you to write and paint and speak the things of God. We need you to depict these things. We might need you to explain them sometimes with words. But make the art. You are gospel tellers. And in this 21st century, we need you more than ever to tell the things of God. Some of you will be stirred by the events of the last several days. Paint something, write something, compose something for the sake of the gospel and the lament of our country. We can tell anyone, anyone about the power of Jesus. Every single human being, regardless of their language, regardless of their ethnic background, regardless of their economic status, can hear of the things of God. It's a miracle. It's a supernatural fact. Anyone can hear. Look at this. We had all these different ethnicities, all these different backgrounds, all them Jews from different parts of the world gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. Arabs are, those from Arabian Arabs are mentioned. Those from Africa are mentioned. Those from that central part there of, of ancient Near East are men. We actually read this both Jews and Protestants, excuse me, Cretans and Arabians. We have all these different people gathered at this time in Jerusalem, hearing the things of God. They were all ready to hear the things of God. Oh, how we thank God for the supernatural ministry of language translation. We thank God for literal translation that happens and the huge commitment that we at Resurrection have. And we thank God for Bible translators that are part of our church. And we thank God for also the ways in which the gospel is ministered in cultural translations. And indeed, I'm not saying that we need, need not be sensitive to cultural translation. We do. It's part of our work as gospel men and women to be sensitive to the cultures that we're in and to learn those cultures and empathize with those cultures and understand them. But we do so with confidence that the gospel can be spoken and preached anywhere to anyone. We need this for our own country. We've come to believe that we really can't speak of the things of God. That people don't really want to hear about the things of God. And do they have animosity and antagonism toward the things of God? I've been absolutely captivated by Father Rick Richardson's book, You Found Me. It's a phenomenal book. And in it, he did a great deal of research. He found a few things that are really important. percent of the unchurched in our country, they polled extensively. Folks who are unchurched, only 6% think that the Christian faith is harmful to society. 94% of the unchurched do not think is harmful. Nearly 80% of the unchurched people that they spoke to said, we are fine when our friends or our family talk about their faith in ways that are kind and compassionate and understanding toward us. 80%. And yet we walk around acting as if 80% hate us. How could that be? We're not living in a closed country to the gospel. Oh, there are challenges, and greater challenges will come. But I would argue we are part of a confuse us that we don't have the freedom to speak of the gospel compassionately, kindly, persuasively, artistically in this time. We 
tell anyone as the Spirit of God leads us about Jesus. So tell an old friend that you can text in this COVID season. Tell a family member. Learn how to tell well. We are training people throughout our diocese right now about how to tell of the mighty acts of God in ways that do fit our American culture and our season. Father Rick Richardson, the author of this book, you found me in several books on evangelism, is actually doing training for our diocese. It's June 4th. It's this week. You can register at midwithanglican.org. I want to encourage you to be a part of that training that he'll be doing so we can learn how to tell well. I hope this teaching has basically been for you that you will remember the promise of God's power and the purpose of that promise to proclaim and tell the things of God to a country and a world that desperately needs the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the cross and resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.